Welcome to Women at the Table. I'm your host, Karen King. Today, we're going to be talking about experiential learning and higher education. Now, you may not be very familiar with the term experiential learning, but if you work on a college campus or university or you're a college student, you're probably very familiar with it. Could experiential learning be the key to solving some of the world's most pressing issues? We're going to explore that today. And luckily for us, we're joined by one of the preeminent gurus of experiential learning, Dr. Mara Huber, who's the Associate Dean for Undergraduate Research and Experiential Learning at the University of Buffalo. She is the founder of the UB Project Portal, a web-based platform that connects students with mentored projects leveraging digital badges. Opportunities include engagement with global non-governmental organizations, allowing students to contextualize the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals while contributing resources and talents. These opportunities build on Huber's longstanding relationship with the Mara region of Tanzania, beginning with the Buffalo Tanzania Education Project and evolving through a yearly study abroad course now offered in a virtual format. Danielle Newber is a medical student pursuing a field in women's health as well as public and global health. Her first experience with experiential learning was in 2017 when she attended a community development-based study abroad program in Tanzania through the University at Buffalo while obtaining her BA in anthropology. Here she helped start a reusable sanitary pad project designed to not only improve the reproductive health of women in rural areas of East Africa, but also to engage entrepreneurship and sustainability. She has continued to bring this knowledge of cultural competency and concern for health disparities among women globally throughout her career in medical school. She plans to continue to use experiential learning as a crucial part to becoming the physician she dreams to be. Pemba Sherpa is a 2020 alum who double majored in psychology and legal studies. As a student, Pemba has always been passionate about giving back to her community, which has allowed her to travel to India and Nepal as an undergrad student to participate in community development projects. Upon graduating, Pemba served as an AmeriCorps VISTA with the City of Buffalo Law Department and the Department of Community Services. Currently, she works as an education and research fellow with America studying workforce development policies and programs. Upon completion of her fellowship in July, Pemba will travel and live in Nepal for 10 months to pursue Fulbright for the 22-23 academic year. After returning from Fulbright, Pemba plans to attend graduate school to study international development and public administration. In the future, Pemba hopes to pursue a career with USAID as an education officer and be able to continue serving the global community. Amanda Hart is a 2020 alum who majored in psychology. She's a big advocate for remote learning, creating her first digital magazine for the SUNY Global Commons, which Dr. Huber helped develop as an option for students who couldn't go abroad due to the pandemic and canceling of SUNY trips. She partnered with a Nigerian organization while taking the SUNY Collaborative Online International Learning Global Commons course, making a 21-page full-color magazine in less than two weeks to further what Nigerians call elderly friendliness. Amanda went on to create GWEM, Global Women's Empowerment Movement, 
digital magazine as a project for a virtual study abroad version of what Dr. Huber offered in 2020. Although she graduated from UB, she continues to grow GWEM, which has become a dynamic international platform for women's empowerment and now engages students from UB and other institutions to write and produce content. Wow, that is impressive. Welcome all to Women at the Table. So Dr. Huber, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about what is experiential learning and why is it so relevant right now? Sure. So, you know, for me, experiential learning is really about connecting students with the world through projects. And those can relate to research or innovation, um, collaboration, entrepreneurship, virtually anything that allows students to apply their understanding and their knowledge and their skills and talents in a way that helps them clarify their goals and support their success. Great projects can come from literally anywhere. Uh, So the exciting uh, part of this, this new frontier in education is really the diversity that comes from building on students' talents and interests and stories and connecting them with needs and opportunities in the world. Um, And that's really the work that we have been doing at the University at Buffalo through the Experiential Learning Network. Thank you. Pemba, talk a little bit about how experiential learning has impacted your educational experience. Um, Yeah, so for me, experiential learning is basically taking your education beyond the four walls of the classroom and actually applying it into the real world. For me, personally, as an individual, um, as a student at UB, experiential learning has allowed me to create a space to be innovative, um, yet also creative in my own way, and also connected me with a community of change makers who are passionate about making the world a better place in their own creative and innovative way. Yeah, so that's that's what experiential learning means to me. Thank you. That's great. Um, Amanda, tell us a little bit about how you got engaged in experiential learning and the impact it's had um, on your life. Yeah, so I started with my first experiential learning projects when I took the SUNY Global Commons course. And I worked on a magazine for a Nigerian organization in Oyo State to make a magazine. And it kind of evolved from there, um, meeting with Dr. Huber and trying to create a platform for women to have a voice on empowerment and sustainability issues. And as we went forward, it kind of evolved into this fantastic outlet where I've been able to engage with other students in experiential learning. So for me, I would say it's been quite life-changing. Yes, it sounds that way. Danielle, let's, let's hear uh, your story. Yeah, so I guess, I guess for me, it all kind of starts with the fact that I chose a very difficult and, and daunting path. I'm choosing medicine as a career, um, which is known to be just very long and rigid. And as you go through school, you you learn that there's not much room for individuality and kind of creating your own pathway to ultimately being a physician. So experiential learning really gave me the space and room to kind of figure out exactly why I, I want to be a physician and kind of allows me to act on my passions because it gets 
it gets very hard when you're going through medical school and, you know, you can get involved in a lot of the toxicity of um, the hierarchy of medicine and just being able to, to see the impact that you're having on communities and vice versa, the impact that they're having on you through experiential learning. It really kind of helps prevent burnout for me and um, really helps me keep pushing toward what my ultimate goal is. So it's just, it's really been a blessing to be involved with experiential learning and, and being able to um, just work with communities that I otherwise wouldn't have the opportunity to do in a normal medical school uh, kind of regimen. Thank you. So it really sounds like from, from what I'm hearing, it really provides students with this incredible opportunity, as we used to say, to engage in, quote, the real world or real world experiences or dynamics to prepare them for the real world. But at the same time, it offers an opportunity, I guess, to faculty and then the participants working with the students in really um, digging in much more deeply in this collaborative problem solving. So Dr. Huber, if you would just talk a little bit about that model and what it means to center students' value in terms of contributing to the problem-solving process. Yeah, you know, our students are just so talented and ambitious, and, you know, each student brings their own story and their own dreams and their own interests. And our students are so, you know, eager to compete for opportunities and and to focus on grades, which has, has really been sort of the focus of traditional education. So this idea of nurturing potential and nurturing value through connecting students with places and people and needs and opportunities is a a little bit um, radical in the sense that it's not about competition, right? It's actually the opposite of competition. Um, Instead of making students compete for limited and constrained opportunities, we instead introduce them to the world by helping them get close to places and people and communities and ecosystems that resonate with them. And then as they discover their own interests and talents, we nurture those and we do it through collaborative projects so that, you know, they are able to add value by trying to support a community or a vision that is not their own. And I think that's radical also because it sort of shifts the power dynamic. This notion of adding value really forces us to check our own assumptions and our own egos and to listen into the potential, into the vision of others. And, and in order to sort of understand that, one of one of the points that, that I want to make about these extraordinary women who are with us is that they crafted their own experiential learning. These are not canned opportunities that students are competing for. These are opportunities that developed literally from the creativity and the passion and the stories of of the individuals. And I would love for them to share um, a little bit about, about how they evolved. So that's really interesting. So all of you developed your focus. It wasn't something that was, quote, assigned. So it it happened in a much more organic way than what you think about traditional education. Yes. Uh, That's really fascinating. Um, Amanda, do you want to elaborate a little bit about that? You know, how you, you, it came to pass that you created this digital magazine. And I mean, did you always have an interest in this work or was there a connection that just spoke to you? 
Well, for me personally, I've been a professional artist for about 15 years. I have a little bit of background in digital design, fine art, all these things. So when I got to UB, I kind of felt a little lost because I was very good at the academic side of things, but I wasn't too, I didn't do too well in the formal research part of trying to be engaged in uh, psychology. So when I got the opportunity to have a hands-on experience, I started to learn more about the fact that these digital magazines could potentially have an impact. So in that essence, that's when Gwem was born. Um, I basically wanted to take the talent that I already had and turn it into something meaningful and actually get the hands-on experience with talking to NGOs and students and change makers and activists. It's been, it's been quite a journey and I can't wait to see what comes of it. So you saw an opportunity or, or maybe perhaps a space that, that wasn't really being uh, looked at and you figured out a way to make it work. And at the same time, it really spoke to your artistic background. Exactly. I, to be honest with you, like I felt like it was a perfect, a perfect complement to each other. And I did see that there was a need for the type of content that I was creating. So I just went with it. And I'm always surprised when I encounter something new, because you're always learning something on the path of experiential learning. So that's, it's quite unique. Hmm, interesting. Now, now, Danielle, you are in probably one of the most rigid hierarchical structures there is, you know, the, the medical school and the medical profession. And you said some interesting things a, a minute ago about the toxicity of it. So, so what, I mean, did you know you wanted to be a doctor when you were young? Were you one of those students who said, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up? Or did, did something happen to spark this? Yeah, actually, I like that question a lot, because it's something that I've come to realize, honestly, through experiential learning and my journey with Mara. I was always told by my my father and my family that I'd make a great doctor. I'm the only one in my family that's pursuing it. So in a sense, it was kind of expected of me, I guess, growing up. And I never truly really understood why I did want to do it or you know, if I really did want to do it until I went to Tanzania and until I engaged in experiential learning. And it all kind of came about, you know, in the beginning when Mara um, was our instructor for this Tanzania study abroad. And she told us, you know, don't go in with any expectations or assumptions. And having come from an anthropology background, I kind of had the skills to put myself in the community and just be open and, and listen to what their needs were, what their struggles were. And it was there that I learned about the struggles of menstrual health for young women and girls in the rural regions, how they don't have access to sanitary pads or even water, how there's such a social stigma associated around it. And that all leads to a lot of health disparities for these young girls in those communities. And, and that was not something that I came in knowing I was going to learn, it wasn't something I came in knowing I was going to fall in love with. Um, and it wasn't until I had the chance to be in the community in Tanzania talk with the partners, learn from them, that I kind of realized the potential for um, some kind of sustainable program that I ultimately was able to develop with a partner of ours who was in Tanzania. And we together created a reusable sanitary pad project to kind of help get rid of some of those disparities in those areas. And ever since that project, ever since that experience, I've fallen in love with women's health and reproductive health. And I've really found uh, my true passion and why I want to be a doctor. And I hope that I get that opportunity to continue doing that work in the future. During my master's in public health, I plan to do more women's health research, and 
and ultimately be a provider for women, especially immigrant and refugee women in the future. So, well, we thank you for that because you're, I'm sure you're well aware of the, not only the health disparities, but the disparities and, and, and the bias in, in medical research. Yeah, where, where women women are, have not been studied or, or provided, you know, as baseline data. So I'm really pleased to hear that you're passionate about that work. So thank you, Pemba. Tell us a little bit about your story. You're going to be in Nepal as, as part of a Fulbright, but you're originally from Nepal. Is that correct? Yeah. So I'm I'm actually super excited to go back. I call it my second home. Queens is my first home because I I was raised in Queens, but it was never planned, I think, for me. So what I really love, what Mara said earlier, was that when we walk through the doors of experiential learning office, we bring our own story and interest and add value. And we bring our creativity and, you know, innovative ideas and kind of grow from there. And how it really kind of happened for me was that, you know, I walked through the door of experiential learning office with an idea uh, with one of my colleague, Hamenta, who's also a former UB student. And uh, we came in there with an idea and we made it happen. Um, and I think that's what experiential learning really does to students is that it allows students to take their ideas and actually make it happen. So I'm originally from Nepal and I'm super excited to be going back as a Fulbright grantee. And when I initially went to Nepal as an undergrad, I was only there for a month, but as a Fulbright recipient, I can actually spend 10 months there as a English teaching assistant. But it's also more about the experience that I'm going to get out of it by actually living in these communities that I hope to one day serve and really connect with the people on a long term and build these meaningful, you know, long term relationships so that hopefully kind of going down the road, I can collaborate with them and continue to be inspired, but also collaborate and work together. That's really impressive. Um, all, all three of you are, are doing incredible work. And it must be very exciting for you, Amara, to, to witness this, this process um, happening in real time. Yeah. You, you, so, nobody, no, nobody can see me teary-eyed, right? Which is what happens <laughs> when you see how inspiring it is. I mean, it, it, it really, you know, drives me to 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 reach more students because as extraordinary as these women are every student right has amazing potential and just all of this this talent waiting to be activated um so yes they they really make me um proud but but very inspired and and you bring up something really important i mean this idea of of learning and 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 sharing and contributing isn't always cultivated in a formal higher education environment. You, you know, it's, it's much more passive. So the models that you created are really changing the face of, of the educational experience. Tell us a little bit more about the need for new models, particularly as it pertains, you know, to community engagement and leadership. Sure. There's, I mean, there's a lot to unpack. First, I'm very fortunate that we are able to take these types of opportunities and complement and integrate them with coursework because there is something fundamentally important about cultivating the knowledge and the skills and the competencies 
along with the experiences and the clarity and discovery that they that come. So, you know, if you look at Danielle, she was able to leverage her academic program as well as her experiential learning to get into to medical school and continues to interweave, you know, those those aspects and, and doing it in a way that is really bold and courageous. So she is taking that year before she completes medical school and infusing it with the public health. She's literally weaving her own story, but using education to do that. You know, Pemba had a million different opportunities for graduate school, and she is weaving her own trajectory using education, right? So education is more important than ever, and colleges and universities have amazing resources. So um, it is not, I am not suggesting that those programs are in any way less important. However, in order to connect students and, and individuals with emerging opportunities and changing opportunities, the world is changing so quickly, we need to bridge the traditional education or the formalized education with experiences. And that's what I see as so exciting, creating value around students' talents and passion and stories, but then connecting it to opportunities and needs in the workforce. And yes, we need new models because that is new work. And, you know, our traditional models, while they have resources within them, they're not designed to be that flexible and dynamic. Right. And really, higher education as an institution has has not really been one that is flexible and dynamic, historically or traditionally, right? Yeah, it's tough, right? I mean, think about what it takes to to run these big institutions, right? Lots of structure, lots of layer of administration. And and those components are, are, you know, by design, not, not really flexible and dynamic. So there needs to be some design work happening. Absolutely. And you're really driving that. I mean, not just at the university, but you're you're really um, internationally known for this. Well, I mean, I think you know Amanda talked about the SUNY Global Commons, which is you know which was a program that sort of launched her magazine, I would say. And I think that is fascinating because you know what happened when the pandemic hit, all of the students across SUNY, right, sixty four campuses went home and they moved to remote learning, as did students around the world, and all of the experiential learning that was traditionally offered shut down. Research labs shut down, internships shut down, and all of these students who were on study abroad had to come home. Those who were awaiting study abroad stopped, and literally everything came to a halt. And it was really SUNY leadership in the global learning realm that said, we need to do something for these students And we sort of came together across the whole system and put together this amazing virtual program that uh, included engaging students with global partners, my own global partners and other global partners. So in those moments of crisis and those moments of need where we were saying we need to give our students something, we were able to innovate. And, And that just goes to show you that it is possible. And through technology and through virtual engagement, we have the ability 
to connect students with the world. Now, the question of how we support that and how we connect it back to their academics is, is a little bit challenging. But but certainly, if, if there was ever a time to do it, it's, it's, it's certainly now. Right. It seems exactly opportune for, for universities or institutions of higher learning to really embrace this. Um, but I'm, I'm curious to know now, Danielle and Pemba both um, did a study abroad and Amanda did it virtually. So I'm curious to hear from the three of them how, how they think those experiences are different or the same or impactful. I guess before the pandemic, I would put a lot more value on being in the communities physically and being able to actually do the traveling. But of course, as you know, the years went on and as the pandemic came about, I, I realized that these virtual experiences can be just as valuable and they need to be just as valuable because, you know, I, you know, I was lucky enough to have a lot of support from my university and my family and friends that allowed me financially to take the trip and, you know, to go on this incredible experience, but that, you know, doesn't end up being the case for a lot of students, but in the end, it doesn't even need to be the case. You know, if there's, I think there's so much value in being able to also do it virtually, especially, you know, with the pandemic. I think some good came out of it. We we learned that you have the ability to connect with partners around the globe, you know, not having to be physically with them. And I think that um, that kind of creates even more opportunities for a student. So I do think they can be equal experiences for sure. Amanda, what do you, what are your thoughts on that? To be completely transparent, if I had not had the opportunity to attend college online, I would never have been able to go to college simply because I didn't have enough resources to do so. So when it came time to do a virtual project, I thought it was just another perfect thing that would be able to help me just learn about the world and connect with people that I've never connected with before and try to add value and do something good for someone else. And I think that the virtual experience with that um, when I was working with the NGO in Nigeria was it was really eye-opening because there's a lot of things that you uh, don't notice when you're talking to people from other parts of the world. Um, and it's very good to have those experiences. Um, and you can still have that experience whether you're in person or over Zoom. It's the same type of engagement. Um, you're making a connection with another human being. Right, right. Pemba, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, so I definitely agreed with Danielle that virtual experiences can be equally valuable because it really allows us to connect with change makers and you know, really inspiring individuals all across the globe from just, you know, our, our own bedrooms. But from my own personal experience, I value in-person experience. So actually being able to travel there, interact with community leaders and community members in person has been highly impactful. So I think, you know, I'm for both virtual and in-person, but from personal experience, I'm going to be biased and say I'm going to kind of go more on the in-person experience. Okay, thank you. And really, this is what the future will be, I'm thinking, right? This, this sort of hybrid experience of engagement. Yeah, can I, Karen, can I, um, I just want to talk a little bit about where digital badges come in because as students are, 
having these high impact experiences, whatever type. So could be global, could be, you know, doing research or some sort of innovation. But as they are working to add value, right, which is this really wonderful stretch that that has you think beyond yourself and and, and learn and and try to do something to contribute, they're developing skills and competencies. And normally, you know, other than talking about your experience, there's often not a lot you can do, right? We all are quick to put that experience on our resume, sort of give it a line and fill up our resume in, in that sense. <laughs> right. But it's it's hard to, to build off of those skills and competencies, especially if somebody doesn't directly ask you about them. So digital badges and micro-credentials um, really go along with experiential learning in the sense because as the students are, you know, doing and as they are adding value, they get this symbol. So think of it like a, you know, a badge from the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts, a badge that sort of has the brand of the university or the institution and it has sort of a name of, of a skill or competency. So in this case, let's say global collaboration. And so the, that symbol is something that they can put on LinkedIn or their digital resume. And when an audience, like somebody important, right, like a potential graduate school or a fellowship or a scholarship, if somebody were to click on it, they would see the skills and competencies that that student earned, but they would also click on a link to evidence. So um, maybe a video or um, some sort of a, a curated PowerPoint and actually get to see what the student accomplished. We did not have that when Amanda, Pemba, and Danielle did their um, experiential learning. But now we have those tools and we're able to help students sort of build value around their experiences and develop the narrative so that they can talk about them externally, but also internalize them like Danielle, Amanda, and Pemba are doing so that they can integrate them with their story. So not only can we give students these amazing experiences, but we can help them build value through these digital credentials, which is really exciting. So you're really providing a narrative. So a prospective graduate school or law school or medical school or employer can hear this story um, through the badges, through the eyes of the student. Right, right. And the student can help articulate to themselves and the people around them what they care about and why they are making the choices. You know, Danielle had to make a case to, you know, stop for a year and do public health, you know, a master's in public health. We all have to create opportunities for ourselves and navigate expectations around us. So these narratives become so powerful because the more we clarify why we do things and how we feel and what we believe, it allows us to make different choices and create more space for others. And I don't know if you heard that Amanda now engages students from all over the world in GWEM. So she is no longer a UB student. She has graduated, but she's created space for other students to have the conversations and learn. And that's how this generative type of growth happens because we expand the spaces around us. And yes, I think narratives really do play a role. Wow, that is really exciting. And 
I mean, just think of the depth and breadth, the the reach of the badges and and this this very powerful tool of storytelling. Right. And now let's go back to faculty, right? And in education, we have faculty who have relationships and staff um, who have relationships all over the world. And when you start to think about relationships and what those offer to students, um, yeah, really is amazing. Well, it's, it's so dynamic as opposed to being kind of a static or flat thing. So it, it's really extremely innovative. Yeah. And I, I think the most radical, you know, your word radical sort of sticks in my mind. I think the most radical piece, if you really sort of play this paradigm out, is that those who are closest to the challenges are the most poised to have an impact. Right. I'll, I guess I'll say that again in my own head is those who are closest right to the to the needs and challenges are in the best position to have an impact. So, you know, when when Danielle was working with an NGO in Tanzania, it wasn't Danielle's work. It was the NGO's work. You know, there are NGOs, there are these community-based organizations working in the most challenging ecosystems with vulnerable communities. They're the ones who are doing the work. They're closest to the challenges. They have the mission, they have the commitment. So this idea of collaborating and working to add value is pretty amazing, right? Because it it sort of shifts that power dynamic. And imagine if we can really um, support those who are closest to the challenges and problems through experiential learning. Like, what could we do? I'm really happy that you brought that up because there is a legacy, particularly you know, within the university systems and research universities, particularly who, who go into communities to, quote, problem solve or to fix things, right? We're going to come in, we're going to help you, we're going to tell you what you need. And to your point, proximity to the issue is elemental to it really being addressed in, in a thoughtful way. So the people who are most proximate to that problem or that issue or that challenge are the people who know what to do. So what I hear you saying is the university should really be there to, to lend support, facilitate, provide you know, resources as necessary, and to add value through, through the contributions of, of students and faculty. Yeah, I mean, and this is such a, you know, I began my career doing school partnerships with the Buffalo schools. So I have always been, you know, in search of collaboration, right, instead of partnerships. I mean, there are lots of nuances. And this notion of equity and equitable collaboration, it is tricky. It's really, really, really tricky. But I think what I have seen is that experiential learning is this really rich space because everybody can sort of stay in their lane, but stretch and grow together. So, you know, for our university, we are doing what a university does, right? We're innovating. There are faculty doing research. There are faculty infusing their teaching um, with the SDGs and contextualized learning. 
you know, there's pedagogical innovation. So our university is, is doing what we do. Our students are developing the skills that they need to develop anyways, right? Because they're transferable. You know, Amanda doing a digital magazine, you know, her skills are needed across the board. Um, you know, public health, our students are doing grants, our students are doing digital media. So everybody is still getting what they need, right? This relevance, they're getting what they need, but they're doing it through collaborating and adding value. So I think it fits beautifully and I can't wait to see it scale, you know, across the systems so that other colleges, you know, that everyone can engage. So I think it, it's it's so exciting because it is innovative and it is bold, but it still is appropriate and it still fits and it will get us what we need, you know, to be viable, sustainable organizations too. So I, I just think it makes sense across the board. Well, it sounds very promising and I'm, I'm feeling more hopeful and encouraged. Um, by by you and your three former students, incredible women making incredible contributions. We're we're almost out of time, so I just want to circle back and just maybe think what you want to leave us with in terms of why you think these experiences are so important to not just the future of women, but the future of of our world. Yeah. So. For me, these experiences are very impactful because it allowed me through my own personal experiences, I was able to create an identity that, you know, I was able to say, this is what I created. This is the experiences that I have. And by actually really immersing myself and living amongst these communities, I was able to discover what I was truly passionate about and what I wanted to do in the future. You know, I actually, when I first went to UB, I thought I had everything planned out. And then I got there and then I realized <laughs> that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, and I was very confused, lost, frustrated, because, you know, I, I'm someone who likes to have everything in order and planned out. But what I realized that was that in that process of not knowing and the uncertainty, I was able to really discover, you know, who I really wanted to be and what really um, drives me and, you know, makes me want to get up and do the job that I would want to do in the future. So I think by actually being lost, it really benefited me because I was able to discover the person that I am today. Mm, wow. That's a great story. Amanda, what about you? So for me personally, GWEM focuses specifically on equality for all, access to quality education, women's equality. Um, but the movement that uh, we're creating is geared toward creating programs and opportunities for women that will pass the torch and tools of empowerment to the next generation. And Mara and I have been working together for quite a while, and it's always really amazing to see the work that I've created go into the hands of a new student who comes and adds value to the project. And it's this ever-evolving experiential learning process, which has led to countless opportunities, even within UB, where we're teaching a women's feminism class based on feminist journalism from what we've created at GWEM. So I think that the experiential learning process process was absolutely needed and it would not have been able to be successful without it. And thank you for, for passing that torch because that is that is necessary. Um, Danielle, let's let's close with you. Thank you. I mean I I um 
respect all three of these women that I've had the honor of working with. And, um, and I think what is so amazing about experiential learning is being able to meet all of these people that have similar passions, um, you know, as you, and it's pretty awesome that I get to work with all these women, even still to this day. And we even have dreams of creating this GWEM and experiential learning combined conference next year, where we kind of create space for, like Amanda said, passing the torch to the next generation to kind of do the work that we've started to do and that we, you know, we want to continue to do. So I think, you know, it's just important to keep experiential learning thriving and, um, you know, create more space for fresh minds so that we can create solutions to problems that we don't even know we have yet. And, you know, that we don't, um, we don't know how to fix yet, but just the more open we can create it and the more opportunity we can create, the more solutions we can uh, have to a lot of these problems. I love the idea of creating space for fresh minds. I, I love that imagery. <laughs> it's really great. And you'll have to keep keep me apprised of what's going on with this conference that you're planning. And you'll all have to come back and, and talk about the conference. That sounds really exciting. Dr. Huber, uh, any final closing words you want to share? Words oh, of goodness. I, I think, you know, the, the thought that is always in my mind, um, on my mind is it's not even a thought. It's just the truth that we need every drop of talent, you know, in its most diverse and abundant forms. And so when we can, you know, cultivate it and support uh, students of all ages, wherever they are in reaching their, their dreams and cultivating their talents, I think it's, it's really inspiring. So I'm just really looking forward to seeing where this work leads and, and to welcoming others in who are doing similar work. I think it's time to be, you know, to be bold and committed. And I, I really thank you for, you know, having us to this forum in, in, in discussing this paradigm. So thank you. Well, thank you to all of you for, for joining me at Women at the Table uh, today. You're all doing incredible work. You're exciting. You're passionate and inspiring. So I, I thank you all and wish you all well in future endeavors. 